What is this that stands before me? Nice. <laughs> so, for the people listening at home, this is the first podcast of Thunderdome. And what we're looking to do is review albums, either some of the greatest of all time. Or some of the worst. Some some of the worst, yeah. Or some like the unsung that people really just kind of seem to look over and forget about. A mix assortment. Exactly. Uh, I'm Tracy. I run the Cloak of Metal Twitter feed where I review a bunch of albums in short format because I'm lazy and don't want to type massive paragraphs reviewing albums. Yeah, and I'm Ben. I'm just this uh, 40-year-old dude who's been listening to metal for most of my life. And so I'm the sidekick for this grand adventure for Cloaca Hammer Metal Reviews. Well, to tell about ourselves, I've been listening to metal since I was 12. My really first introduction to, I guess you say, guitar sound was when I was like four, when Eagles Hell Freezes Over came out. <laughs> and the first track on that album, Get Over It, the guitar kicks in. That, my mom would blare it as we're coming home from her midnight shift after she'd pick us up from her babysitter. It's like two o'clock at night, and she's like, stay awake till we get home. And that's just blaring that. Um... And then my first real introduction to metal came from, oddly enough, wrestling with Sting coming out the Seek and Destroy by Metallica and Bill Goldberg coming out the Crush Em by Megadeth. Uh, I have a similar story. Um, the, my first introduction to the world of heavy metal came when I was, let's see, it was 1984, so I was eight years old, and it was hearing the hair metal extravagance of Bon Jovi uh, you Give Love a Bad Name, when it came on the local radio station. Um, from there, I got into heavier stuff through wrestling, just like Tracy, but mine was the mighty, mighty Black Sabbath performing Iron Man for the awesome tag team, the Road Warriors, as they ran oh, to the shit. ring and kicked ass. Um, so yeah, and from there, it's been a love affair. Um, you know, I, I really got, I didn't really get into the heavier stuff thrash metal and the like not that i consider either that heavy but for my young mind it was heavy until i was in middle school and met up with a couple of other metalheads in the local area but dude yeah i've been uh, listening ever since so um two things i remember on an old super nintendo video game the road warriors like they had a midi file that sounded a lot like iron man mm -hmm. and i never actually knew that they came out with iron man oh wow to the <laughs> yeah so that's that's a nice little tidbit to learn here oh yeah dude and um <clears throat> My first album I ever bought was Metallica Kill em All, purely because of Seek and Destroy. But the story behind it is, I had a very Christian old grandmother that we drove 30 minutes to the closest mall, went into Hot Topic of all places, and I was like, I want to get this album. And the, the first album I picked was Disturbed the Sickness, and she's like, no. <laughs> and so I was like, how about this one then? And she's like, okay. And I'm surprised that she actually bought it because, you know, the hammer with the blood yeah. and kill them all on it. And then we listened to it like the old, old tape deck cassette for CD player things. And <clears throat> in her car on the way home. And I was just now realizing like, how in the fuck did I pull this off as opposed to with her? <laughs> Cause she was a Bill and Gaither kind of gal. <laughs> yeah. Time to get down to the brass tacks and why we're here, I guess. That's right. Let's kick this pig. Oh, uh, well, we'll talk about a little bit of our album process and how we decide. 50% of what we decided at random. We're just going to have our random number generator pull up a number between X and Y. And whatever album it gives us will be two of the albums we do a month. And then we'll each pick one a month. 
that were kind of like, hey, I want to do this album. And so it gives us a chance to like sit down and talk with friend and be like, hey, I really dig this album and think you should check it out instead of just a constant, check this album out, check this album out. It gives us a format to be able to discuss and talk about it. Yeah, and that's always a snapshot in time. That's what we're doing going forward. If this thing takes off and grows, who knows, we might open a Patreon level to where you can suggest an album to us. If it doesn't take off, then we'll just be pouring talking about albums because we fucking love it, and you can eat our ass. Yep. So, you know, it's all good. Maybe maybe drag in a couple of additional friends to kind of throw in their opinions on it on a couple albums. Exactly. We'll see how they feel. But our first album is Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, in which a lot of people considered one of the first metal albums of well but you when we didn't talk about pulling up you're like eh, there's some argument debate on the first actual album uh, there is a lot of debate and um for all intents and purposes this is credited as the first truly heavy metal album um i would argue that the sounds that became heavy metal had existed previously um in a god of iron butterfly the band Coven, who came out the same year, 1969, as the Black Sabbath album, um, and actually predate it. Uh, you can also look to a lot of the Led Zeppelin sound, um, a lot of commentators and critiques, and actually the band themselves, Black Sabbath, would say that they were really imitating what Zeppelin was doing, and I find that hard to argue with. Yeah, and you could even make the argument on this album itself, like... And we'll get more into depth about it in their views, but they have some heavy elements, but it's more blues. Like they said in the beginning, we're just a blues band. Like, you can definitely tell the blues roots is in this album. Oh, yeah. So, a little bit of the band intro, which if you don't know who Black Sabbath is and you're listening to his podcast, you fucked up somewhere along the lines. Like, I don't know how you don't know who they are and like metal. They are the grandfathers of the genre. I would definitely say that. Yeah, and they've hit this interesting point to where they have become pop culture icons like i think even more now than any point in time because you listen to any classic rock station you're good for at least two black sabbath albums every hour and a half like or songs you're good for at least two of those i mean maybe i don't know it's been a long time since i've listened to terrestrial radio so it's hard for me to say whenever i do it seems there's a whole lot of rush and that's a, a topic for another day yeah well <clears throat> the joys of uh working in retail and having to do with what you got for sure but um you know, Black Sabbath, which you have Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Bill Ward. Yes, Bill Ward, the fantastic drummer. Yeah. Skin killer. That, is, that he's now looking to do a final tour with all the four original members. That's a topic for another discussion as well. Uh, that, the eighth final tour that they've gone on. Oh, hell, the mighty Black Sabbath and their never-ending tour. Yeah, in which Bill Ward, at his age, doing a full tour, like, those would be one show a week just to keep his body up. I don't see him being able to do more than that. Well, I mean, they just came off a tour where they didn't have him, and that kind of was some bullshit. I mean, you know, and I say that, but we have to remember, in, in discussing Black Sabbath, or any band, really, that's been around this song, there were times when, you know, the famous thing is Ozzy wasn't in the band, but there have been other times when the other members of the band rotated some, too, so... Like, if Tony Ohm is the only guaranteed member of Black Sabbath, at which point nobody, none of the original members have been there. It'd be almost like Sepultura without the Cavaleros. Uh, which it is now, but... Argument can be made on that one. Yeah, yeah. I guess moving into discussing about the album. Yes. What did you like? What was your, some of your favorite parts? 
Well, let me correct one mistake that I made. Um, I said that it came out in 69. It didn't. It did come out on Friday the 13th in February of 1970 in the UK, but it was recorded in 1969. That's what I meant. But before uh, we get eviscerated in our first episode, I thought I would go ahead and say that. Um, The things I liked about it, the first side, if we look at the vinyl lineup of the the original repressing uh, of Black Sabbath, The Wizard, Behind the Wall of Sleep, and Nativity in Black. Holy shit. Um, that is 75% killer material. Spoiler alert, I'm not that big of a fan of Behind the Wall of Sleep. Um, but man, that is an awesome A-side. The B-side yeah. with Evil Woman, um, which was a cover song, Sleeping Village, and Warning, uh, which was also a cover song. Eh, you know... Uh, there are neat historical artifacts, um, some decent jamming from the band, but honestly, it's that first side that is the dawn of the heavy metal era as it comes to be defined. Yeah, and you know, like the intro to The Wizard with the harmonica has become one of the most iconic intros in a very iconic band. It has several iconic intros, you know, that, I don't know, The Wizard really just sets the tone. For me with this album, the one thing I really liked about it is like you definitely tells the blues influences there like black sabbath black Sa- the song was very was more of the hatton proto metal but once you get past like that first ah, song it moves definitely into their blues i wish a lot of metal bands would have taken notice of this even earlier on is like the bass is on point and up front he's not somebody that's just downgraded into the back who's just like your rhythm and just stick with it <clears throat> like he has a major part and role in this album that really sticks out that i enjoy myself well i mean aside from being the bass player he also wrote the majority of the lyrics because we all know ozzy doesn't write lyrics and it, yeah geezer butler is as much as we just discussed bill ward bill ward it, the way that he played drums was very important to the band of course the everybody always talks about tony iomi and his guitar tone and why that is so we won't elaborate that point but to me geezer butler is the driving force of black sabbath yeah in which, like, there's stories, you know, where Ozzy just kind of looked at Geezer and like, you're not doing shit. How about you like the lyrics? Just kind of, when it's like, well, he does a lot. Like, the undercone tones of that whole album is definitely layers perfect with Iomi. Yeah, yeah. And what's even more astonishing, this album, like, I still, I really enjoyed it. And you could probably put it up with Alan's Today that's been, you know, months and months and months in production. And these dudes went in there and banged this thing out in like a six-hour session, just played it live. It's like, oh, we're done now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just... And, and, and here's another thing about this album, which I do dearly love. But And you can really see the occult influences on the band, even though I think that those are often overstated. I think that it's very gothic. I don't necessarily think that it is super occult. I mean, granted, the first song of the album, Black Sabbath, um, does talk about, you know, Satan appearing in front of the, you know, the I owe me. singer. Yeah. Wasn't it the story like he painted his whole room black and then woke up in the middle of the night and Satan was standing there? It was Butler. It was um, the the story that I've always heard is that um, Ozzy bought Geezer a an actual witchcraft tome from the 1600s because um, Geezer was into that kind of things and then like Geezer had a nightmare about it and then wrote Black Sabbath. Of course there's also the fact that the rehearsal space was across the way from a theater that was showing the horror movie Black Sabbath from like the 50s so that that 
could also play a role in it too. But even so, what I, where I was going with it is that there are certain layers of occult imagery that are on this, but I think those are often overplayed because really the lyrics are also fairly explicitly Christian-centered too, which is unsurprising when we consider that Geezer is a Catholic. Yeah, which metal artists have that whole theatricality bit about them that they push forward like you see it definitely with Tom Aria who's a devout Catholic but you were to just focus on his lyrics and what Slayer wrote you wouldn't ever assume that right so overall where would you rate this album like on an A to failing grade oh we're going to use the academic scale are we are we using half grades or are we using whole grades let's do plus and minuses okay (laughs) we'll we'll do the the old-fashioned a plus is a 96 a 98 an a is a 95 and a negative is 92 uh sure let's see if (laughs) we keep that straight and consistent probably not um no um oh wow solid b plus yeah i i feel like i'd probably give it a solid b b plus my really only downside about the album and I guess we get to the parts where we didn't like about it, is the the ending felt super like a concert ending. Like they just go into like the drum fills and just like play whatever you want to fill time. And yeah. the last like two minutes is that. And, you know, I never have heard the LP version. My, this has all been digital. And so all I'm dealing with is like the 92 remasters, like the oldest version of this I've heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's kind of my take on it too now don't get me wrong black sabbath the wizard and nativity in black are hands down true heavy metal hard rock classics um i love all three of those songs i listen to all three of those songs i'm even spoiler alert going to go out and say that nativity in black is probably my favorite black sabbath song period just because again i'm a geezer butler mark and i love his bass playing on that song however the rest of the album is i think you use the word filler and i'd say that that's pretty appropriate it is guys who have some studio time they have two covers um which is not that uncommon for like 60s era english blues bands to do the rolling stones and led zeppelin both did it too um so it's kind of hard to knock them for that because that was kind of standard practice at the time but and it does make most of the rest of the album skippable for me. Yeah, and the album, the songs that really, you know, stuck out to me were The Wizard and Black Sabbath, like that, the A side, which you were talking about, and like I do agree that that B side just kind of falls off, in which, you know, working on your record player, even when you had an 8-track, you could just kind of keep it on loop on them two things and just never have to worry about moving beyond it because you weren't missing a lot. Yeah. Now, you did bring up an interesting point when we talked about this a couple days ago about the remaster and what you hate about it specifically, which I want you to go in depth about. Well, it, it comes because, like you said, listening to it digitally. And so I went to Spotify to listen to it digitally because I don't have the LP version. Uh, I've never had the LP version. I had the CD version, which was the same thing. Um, just so people don't think that I'm like a vinyl head because, unfortunately, I'm not. I would like to be. I've just never sunk the money into it. It's not a cheap hobby. It is not, that is for sure. There was a time it was, but now it's become like super um, hipsterfied, which is cool that the, it's revived the industry. But anyway, um, so yeah, I went into Spotify to listen to it, and all they had was I think the 2014 remastered version, which compresses all of side. Actually, I think it compresses behind the wall of sleep and side B into one track, and that. Which I get. I mean, that kind of speaks to the point I was making about those kind of just being filler, but it annoyed the piss out of me. And I guess, you know, um, 
I I like for albums to be presented in the way that they the artists originally intended for them to be. And then as consumers, we can decide whether we like that layout or we like those tracks or not. But, oh, God, combining, I mean, fuck. They took songs that individually, except for Warning, were over three minutes. Uh, Warning is over ten minutes. And they compressed them into a 20-minute song. Who the fuck has time for that, man? I mean, you know, unless you're just putting that on to as your, you know, elliptical jam. And if you're using that as your elliptical jam, give us a shout-out on Twitter. Um, but fucking shit. Yeah, and like, you know, like, NIB is probably one of my favorite songs that I've heard of them over the years. And to get to it on the digital side, you have to listen to six minutes. Like, it's, you can't just skip to it. You have to go actually into the track and, like, start here, which is a waste of time for a lot of people. Yeah. But, I mean, I've heard a lot worse albums than this, and even outside of the remaster compression parts of it. There are some, I mean, you see this trend like in the 90s to where you'd have like 40 minute tracks with nothing on them for like the middle 35. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the hidden track phenomenon and, you know, that that is neat. Um, And I liked that as a kind of uh, wink and a nod to your fan base who are going to just have it in and listening or to catch them by surprise when they fell asleep to the disc or the record playing. No problem with that whatsoever. But this this digital compression is not the same thing. You do make a good point on that. Alrighty, well, let's take a look and see what the critics are going to say about this album. Encyclopedia Metallum, and we are using some of their reader reviews. Let's see, we got Ultra Boris giving it a 76, and his major comment is even the first wheel was kind of squarish. <laughs> <laughs> so, the BBC review, which I don't know when originally was done, but it has a posted date of 2007. Now, that might just be when the they wrote it, which would be kind of weird that they would... Of course, we're doing it even later, so maybe it's not that weird. Um, but actually posting for the BBC an online review of a, an album released in 1970 in 2007, or if this is just when they digitally uploaded it, I don't know. But the sub-headline, this wasn't good time music. Uh, this is by Pete Marsh, um, and I completely can agree with that, that this, and if anything, that is, there is a sense, you know, um, if there's any genre of metal, which all genres of metal, and we will discuss this in later episodes, the increasing uh, multiplicity of metal genres, but if there is any metal genre that sticks close to this sound as produced by Black Sabbath in 1970, it is doom slash sludge metal. And I think that that term, doom, is pretty appropriate. This, these are dirges, um, and God bless them for that. Definitely agree with that, because, you know, and even Stoner Metal to agree, because all those three are built purely on just riffs. They're not super fast. But they're crunchy, and they let you know they're crunchy. They're not willing to pull punches, and you just immediately get the nod to just headbang as you listen to it. That's just where they land up at. Yeah, no doubt. Um, in which most of these reviews you're seeing on Encyclopedia Metal, it's the same things that we are talking about. It's like you got a good first part, and the second part just kind of brings it down. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the the standard that has been given to it. Yeah, but I mean, I don't regret listening to it. It's something I view that I definitely was worth spending my time and listening to. I did see somebody give it like a 70. It's not the masterpiece that Black Sabbath would create later in the same year, but for the fact alone that they were able to revolutionize hard rock music with a single album, the debuts deserves to be heard. And, but I do disagree with things like Tony. I only take center stage and everything this album does here, but as we discussed, Geezer Butler 
does have a significant role that puts him him and Tony right there together. Well, I mean, and I, I'm biased because when I was in a band, I was a bass player and vocalist, so therefore I always listen to the bassist. Um, and if you hear guitarists of the next generation of metal, if you listen to interviews by the Hetfields and the Mustaines and the Scottians of the world, they all talk about Tony Iommi and that guitar sound. And that guitar sound is kind of is what is given credit for, you know, spawning heavy metal. So saying that Iommi takes center stage isn't wrong, I would say. It's just my ears hear something different. And, and honestly, too. You know, unlike some of the albums that we do, which will be, which won't be as classic, and we'll we'll be listening to with fresher ears. This is stuff that I've been listening to for almost my entire life, and so therefore, saying that Tony Iommi is the core of it, yeah, he is. But what else is there? Yeah, you know and what like, I'm saying. You know, the story behind the sound for Black Sabbath and Tony Iommi's fingers is he had to play in drop D, or else his fingers hurt and he couldn't play. And so you do kind of get that story behind it, right? So, and just from that, just from the the tuning, although other bands were experimenting with alternate tunings, we can't all put that on Black Sabbath. That is the innovation in this album, is that sound, because it changed the sound from when they were Earth, which was just a blues hippie band, into this doom hippie band that became heavy metal. Yeah, and like, you know, you see in all the interviews and early talking about, like, Black Sabbath was one of the first bands that talked about more darker aspects of life that were you know they claim you know they're talking about the darker aspects of life that were not good they were not happy they didn't always have a good endings it was the i can say embracing the suck of life yeah embracing the suck but this album does not suck so if you have never heard this album or if you only heard the top tracks despite the fact that we both said that the other stuff on the album was our least favorite you should give it a listen to see what you think and Perhaps you'll really fall in love with Behind the Wall of Sleep as yeah. you are token it up on 420. Which would be a good idea to do. Just get high. Marijuana is legal in more states than ever now. That's right. Well, I believe that brings us to the conclusion of our first episode of Thunderdome. Before we go, tell them where they can find you, Tracy. Yeah, click a metal, K-L-O-A-K-A, metal. And where can they find you at, Mr. Lindsay? You can find me at itinerant histo one. That is the word itinerant h i s t o the number one at Twitter, where I tweet about all things history, anti-fascism, and also pro wrestling because I fucking can. Thank you for joining us today, and next week tune in next week for when we do nail bomb point blank. Thank you for listening to Thunderdome Metal Reviews. Ah.